Okay, we'll start. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word, for guiding us, for revealing us, revealing truth to us, and um, um, and for your spirit, for for, uh, opening our eyes and eyes to see and our ears to hear these deep truths. Father, may we continue to um, uh, listen well, to to, uh, hear well. Uh, May you humble us that we be receptive to what you have to say. Thank you for um, just uh, these last few books of the Bible that we can go through and um, just uh, learn from and dig from, and may it um, um, deepen our love for you. We love you. We pray in your sins' name. Amen. <coughs> All right, so so, uh, so this is the last week of um, our whole Bible series. This is the 10th week. A tenth lesson, and then we're going to go through James and Revelation. Um, the OT was pretty good. Uh, I felt like that was. I mean, even as I was studying and I taught the, um, the minor prophets, I was like, oh, this stuff is really good, right? Uh, just how everything's connected and how um, covenant is so important in understanding uh, scripture and how God relates to us, right? So, and we we just hit on covenant and oh, this is it. This is it. This is God's covenant to us. He loves us. He's going to pursue us despite who we are, right? Um, and so now we have, um, in the New Testament, we have uh, the Gospels, we have the Epistles, um, and um, within the Gospels, we, it talks a lot about the Messiah, right? The King, Kingdom, um, how God sends uh, His Son, um, and how the Son accomplishes the work. Uh, he dies on the cross, um, He lives a perfect life, and, and then as He ascends, He sends the Spirit, the Spirit to empower the church. Um, the church is on a mission now, and we, we live in this church age. The church is on a mission to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? And we see how um, at the beginning of Eden, there's Adam and Eve, and they were tasked to take care of the land, to be fruitful, multiply. And so within Eden, um, there's, we'll say this is Eden, right? Uh, and Adam and Eve. God was, God said, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, God was with them here. So we'll say God's there. And um, so God was, they had perfect relationship with uh, each other. Um, There's no sin yet. And then he says, their their task was to bring this blessing to the end, to all of the earth, right? But they failed. And so Adam and Eve are cast out of, out of Eden, right? But, and then so the story of the Bible is, oh, you're supposed to, now, uh, now we're supposed to, um, um, God still loves his people, so he makes his covenant with them, with Abraham, and um, you see, we see throughout the Old Testament that Israel is called to obey God, to um, to bring this blessing of God to the ends of the earth, but they failed to, right? And so Adam and Eve failed, Israel failed, is a re-dramatization of, of Eden, so these things fail, and now we have Christ, um, Jesus fulfills everything for us, and... Um, and now we have the church. The church is supposed to bring blessing to the ends of the earth, right? And so it's going to happen because we know it's going to happen, right? Uh, the promises are true. The hope is real, right? And so, so we're kind of at the end of this thing. Um, Revelation will be um, awesome to go through. Uh, but let's go through uh, the first few books before that: James, First and Second Peter, First and Second and Third John, Jude, and Revelation. So we're going to spend probably the bulk of our time. Uh, in James and Revelation, I'm guessing, just because it's a little bit more weighty. 
Um, and so let's take a look at James. Um, James is considered a wisdom book. It's kind of like the Psalms and Proverbs um, and in its style and format. So um, wisdom, the wisdom literature, a uh, genre of wisdom, is it focuses on philosophy, how to live a godly life, right? It's very practical. Um, our call is to do this. When you do this, you'll, you'll, you'll grow in holiness, right? So this is James. Um, and James is written for Jewish Christians who were being persecuted um, by following Jesus, right? Um, and so he has an exhortation here in James 1, 2 to 4. Uh, John Chu, can you read that for us? <coughs> Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that you know that the testing of your faith proceeds your steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Thanks. Um, yeah, so this joy that James is talking about, it's, it's this um, underlying joy, uh, this deep foundational joy that we have um, as believers, right? We have this hope in Christ. It's not just this superficial, superficial happiness, uh, this band-aid over our problems, but even when trials come, uh, we know that we can um, that there's that we can rejoice despite um, our suffering, despite our sorrows, right? Because because we know we know the truths of this world, right? Um, and so he says, count it all joy, um, and let steadfastness have its full effect. So we're growing in holiness, and one day we'll be perfected. Right? So this is its exhortation. And here, James, I guess, is mo- known more for. Um, uh, this relationship between faith and works, right? Um, a lot of people have have said, oh, maybe James in the early church, he said uh, James um, uh, kind of has this opposite gospel, op- opposite message of Paul. And let's read this and, and we'll discuss it. Uh, Christine, can you read James 2? That big, big portion for us. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Yeah, thanks. Um, verse 14 is not in here, but verse 14 says, What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Right. Um, and so James is talking about... Um, how the relationship between faith and works, right? And I think this is uh, very relevant for us today. This is this is just an ongoing debate, um, even today, um, within Christian circles, right? Um, how does this play out? How does because we as Protestants, we know we believe that okay, we're justified uh, by grace alone, um, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? Um, but right here it says uh, at the bottom of James two and verse twenty four, it says, "You see that a person is justified." by works and not by faith alone. Right? So, oh man, this is crazy. Right? I think Martin Luther was kind of sketched out about this book because it seems so opposite of what um, Paul was talking about in Romans and Galatians. Um, and so, so yeah, what is, what, is, what is James talking about here? How do these two things relate? 
Um, let's look, let's read Romans three twenty eight. Uh, Chelsea, can you read that for us? For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works, from works of the law. Thank you, John. Galatians. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Yeah, thanks. So it seems seems kind of contrary, right? But we know that it's, it's uh, the scripture doesn't contradict itself, right? So um, how do we explain this? What are we talking about? So I, I think the the key, perhaps, to figuring this out is looking at the audience that James and Paul is um, reaching out to, right? So we see that James, uh, James's primary audience, um, they're Jewish believers, right? The, Jew- the Jews grew up in this Jewish tradition where um, they did all these things and to earn their righteousness, essentially, right? Um, they thought that, oh, if we keep the law, we keep the law, we'll, we'll, um, um, we'll be blessed. Um, and so he's, so new Jewish believers will be like, okay, we hear the gospel, like, oh, it's by faith alone, okay. And so perhaps they're going to drop drop all the works, right? And so James is um, touching on, he's addressing antinomianism, which is anti-law, right? Um, so antinomianism. So that's anti-law, right? Um, and he's he's saying that, oh, look, it's, it's, it's not so, he, um, okay, so we're, we're Paul, so we have James, let's read. James addresses this. There's Paul. He uh, will say, say a phrase. Right. Um, so their focus, they're not talking about different gospels, but their focus is different. Um, Paul again and again it says that um, works of the law will not we're not justified by that, but it's by faith alone, right? James is saying, oh, wait, but, but we are sort of justified by it. And so, so what they're saying, um, what he's saying, they're, they're, t- uh, they're tackling it from opposite ends, right? Um, so we have people, so, so let's say, uh, that's a good way to explain it. Um, um, so let's say, let's say someone, let's say person A Say person A is says, "Oh, I can. I'm going to earn, earn my way, earn my salvation, essentially, right? So, kind of like this Pharisees' salvation. We know that's not true, right? Like we we, we teach this again and again that the gospel is not about earning salvation. It's all about the grace of God, how He pursues us, right?" How he loves us despite us. This is the this is why we need Christ, right? So we can never earn our salvation. Um, B, um, we have those that believe the gospel, but they live. Did I spell that right? Licentiousness. Um, um, abuse. So these are obvious, these are two extremes um, that Christians fall into, um, or just people fall into when they hear the gospel sometimes. Um, or so, 
I grew up. I grew up very much in terms of this. I, mean, I, I felt like I had to earn my salvation, earn my righteousness. Oh, I'll go to church, put in my works, uh, be a good person. God's gonna love me, right? Um, this is kind of where I stood. And then we have the people on the opposite end. It says, "Oh, okay, I'm saved already by faith alone, so I'm good, right? Um, I'm. What else do I have to do? You know, like uh, I, I'm saved already. There's nothing I can do. And this is something we hear a lot um, of in, in the sense that oh, the gospel is everything that." God that does this for you. God does this for you, right? And that's absolutely true. But they miss, they miss out what true faith is, right? They miss out on what the true gospel is. It's not so that we can we're saved so we can live however we want, right? And so, um, so this this camp abuses the grace of God, and this is what James is attacking. Um, he's he's saying, um, he's saying that no, faith, faith without works is dead right um, yeah you guys have any questions so far or any input or, or feedback does that make sense pretty clear uh, if you look at uh, verse 19 it says you believe that God is one you do um, you do well even the demons believe and shudder so there are many people who will who will believe in God. They will believe um, in Jesus, uh, the things that Jesus did, and um, at the same time, perhaps it doesn't it doesn't transform them because they just they just know it intellectually, but they don't believe it, believe it. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, even the demons know that these things are true, but they they're not saved, right? Um, and so he's saying. He's saying a faith, faith, genuine faith will always produce works. Genuine faith will always produce fruit. Um, so genuine faith always. So you'll, so when you understand the gospel, when you have a faith that is growing, um, you'll, um, your heart will change. Your heart will be more in tune with um, um, growing in holiness, seeking God, uh, and from there your character uh, grows in, in godliness, and um, works will flow out of that. Right. So. Uh, James emphasizes the demonstration and fruit that comes from our faith, um, whereas Paul emphasizes the source of our righteousness and justification, which is our faith in Jesus Christ, right? And we should not hold these two things. They're not mutually exclusive. These two things kind of go hand in hand, right? So as we understand the source of our righteousness, um, it will be, it will come to uh, fruition. Our, our our beliefs will will play out and will live lives accordingly. Does that make sense? Pretty straightforward. All right, cool. So let's go to First Peter, Second Peter. We'll breeze through uh, some of these. First uh, Peter. This is a letter of encouragement to Christians who are hurting and suffering. Um, and uh, we know that suffering isn't random, but it's it's. Uh, um, it's God's. It's all a part of God's plan for us. Um, Peter calls believers to 
cling to our certain hope in Christ and to live righteously even um, in the middle of suffering, right? Um, so First Peter 1, 3 to 7, uh, verses 3 to 5 kind of lay the foundation for our hope, right? It says God has done it. He has caused us to be born again to living hope. And then from there, it says in this we rejoice, right? Um, and then um, we understand first um, these truths that, that God has saved us. And then from there we can rejoice. Kevin, can you read First Peter for us? Okay. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks. So everything before the bold is essentially um, what has happened. And now it says, in this, in this foundation, in this gospel truth, now we can rejoice despite our suffering. Right, so suffering um, is meant for for us. As it says uh, um, in verse six, it says, "In this re- you rejoice, right? In this truth we rejoice." Um, though now, you uh, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory. So suffering um, will reveal to you your heart, essentially. Right? Are you going to run to God um, and 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 cry out to Him, knowing that that there's so much more uh, than what we have here, um, or are you going to run away from Him in in anger, thinking like, "How dare you, God, do this to me?" Right? So it's, it's really clear here. Right? Suffering is for our good, essentially. First um, Peter four twelve to thirteen. Erica, can you read that for us? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Yeah. Just do not be surprised. So it's coming. Suffering's coming. Um, it says, but rejoice. Right. So it's just kind of reiterating what he's saying. Um, you guys have any questions on First Peter? Alright, so Second Peter is very similar. Um, he wrote this letter just before his uh, he was executed, um, and he encourages believers to live in holiness and godliness, and he warns of false teachers. Right? Um, let's let's read Second Peter. TJ, can you read Second Peter for us? Mm-hmm. My, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and in Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness 
and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks. So everything before verse 5, it's saying, it says, God has granted to us all these things, right? It is him who called us. It is him who granted these things to us. So God has done these things for us. Um, these are the gospel, uh, gospel indicative, right? These things have happened. He has saved you. And it says, for this reason, for this very reason, it says, now we can respond. This is how, this is our response in life. Um, so it says, we're to supplement our faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and all these good things, right? It says we can do this now because of what God has done for us. Um, and so his exhortation is to pursue holiness, pursue godliness. Look at this great hope that you have, this great promise, um, um, God's love for us. Now Now this is, this is how we can live because of this, right? So very similar. For, uh, the first, uh, the two letters of Peter are very, pretty similar. Um, let's look at the Johns. <coughs> you guys have any questions? Any thoughts? Um, so John is again similar to he 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 exhorts believers to um, live obediently, uh, to be devoted, but he also warns the false teachers, teachers that deny the. Uh, that Christ was um, either divine or that he was fully human, right? Um, and so, so that's that's a um, a heresy that he is he is uh, really w- wanting to protect believers from, right? That God is that God is protecting them. That God is not fully divine or fully human, but he is, right? He is both. Um, and so, First John, he, uh, so John calls Christians to true doctrine. Um, to obedient living, you know, true, true, uh, again, true faith produces obedience and love, um, and fervent devotion. And he addresses the relationship between faith and works. He too addresses this. Seems like it was confusing back then, and even today, it's it's one of those things where where we have to fight for and and contend for truth, right? Um, so First John to uh, Joe, can you read that for us? So this keeping of commandments isn't like uh, um, the ways that Pharisees keep the commandments, right? But it's out of a transformed heart. Um, and so one way we can tell that we are um, we are um, regenerate is 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 our are our affections for God to want to know God more, to grow in holiness, and to obey Him, right? Um, I think I think um, in our culture today, obedience is and obedience and submission is. It's like uh, it's not a, they're not good words, right? We just want to do our own thing, you know. Uh, we want to um, live for ourselves, and um, all these songs of oh, you know, live like it's there's no tomorrow, or, or kind of do our own thing, live however we want selfishly, right? Um, but Bible again and again says that we are to obey. It says if you if you know um, who you are, if you know these gospel truths, then you will abide in Him, right? You will obey. Um, not for the sake of 
spiritual being uh, per se, but because you know of know of these truths, right? Second uh, John, uh, again, very similar. Um, warning against false teachers and a call to obedience, very similar. Again, these uh, the warning is against the te- false teachers that deny that Christ came in the flesh. They say um, um, that, that Christ just appeared to be human, uh, that he wasn't fully human, right? Um, and so there, there's all these uh, heresies uh, running around, and he's saying, beware of those things beware um, and then again he exhorts uh, believers to um, obedience uh, Roxanne can you read Second John for us Very similar, um, what he's saying in his letters. Um, any thoughts or questions so far? Okay, uh, let's look at Third John. Let me just uh, skim through this briefly. Uh, this letter is written to Gaius, who is dealing with a troublemaker named Diotrephes, um, and so. So basically, in this passage, it's really short. It's only like 13 verses in this book. Um, he's he's uh, he's applauding Gaius for um, welcoming missionaries into his home, traveling Christians, and being hospitable to them, and sending them off. Um, and he's saying, but he says that this Diotrephes guy it says, um, verse nine, I have written something to the church, but uh, Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Um, so he's insubordinate to. The, the apostles uh, so if I come I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that and not content with that he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church beloved do not imitate evil but imitate good whoever does good is from God whoever does evil has not seen God and so um, basically we need to understand the importance of love for the brothers right um, for fellow Christians and being discerning, being discerning of who is, um, who's, I don't know, causing trouble, or who's uh, within the church uh, that isn't following um, um, commands or um, following authority, right? Um, so love and discernment are, are uh, kind of themes within Third John. Uh, let's move to the last two books. We have a few, uh, maybe ten minutes to talk about this. Um, Jude is a warning um, warning of false teachers who have slipped into the church and were perverting the grace of God. Um, again, a call to persevere and contend for truth. Let's see, Jude. Uh, Rachel, can you read Jude for us?
So these people that have crept in unnoticed, they um, they deny uh, they deny um, Jesus Christ, right? They they live again. Uh, they live uh, in sensuality, um, however they want licentiousness, right? Um, so they pervert the grace of God. Um, he says, beware of these people. Right? He says, don't don't let these people um, pervert uh, um, and uh, mess up the church, essentially, right? Um, so it's very important. Um, so I mean, just re- reading through these books, like there's a there's a lot of similar themes, right? The theme of beware of false teachers, beware of false teaching. Um, uh, the what's the relationship between faith and works, right? That's very important. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's look at uh, Revelation, and we'll. Oh, it's like not that relevant, but you know what year this book was written? Uh, I don't know. Probably like eighty, seventy. I'm just guessing. I'm totally guessing. But around that time, for sure. <laughs> Sorry, what time? First, first century. Seventy, eighty, around that time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. I don't know the exact date. We could look it up, but yeah, just around that time. So these are all first century um, writings. Uh, yes. Um, yes sir. In that verse that you used in your little passage, uh, when you talk about sensuality, oh, yes. um, <coughs> what does that mean? Like were they were they doing sexually immoral things or something? Uh, I wouldn't say I would say that, but also just not it doesn't it's not just that. Right? Sens- okay. sensuality I think is more of um, it's a broad term for whatever. I don't know. Maybe Jung knows. <laughs> yeah. I think it's this in general. It's like um, it could be any kind of like physical indulgence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be sexual. It's just yeah. You guys have any other questions before we finish up? All right. Let's look at Revelation. Um, so this book of Revelation is it's pretty weighty. It's it's very very highly symbolic. Um, there are different ways to interpret it. Um, so I, at the last page, this box, I don't think we're going to hit on, hit on this, but I just put it in as a bonus. Um, I was like, oh, it's going to take way too long to explain these things. But let me just explain, uh, quickly the top, the top part, four different approaches to interpreting Revelation. So, so these are, there are different ways that people, um, even today interpret Revelation. Some, um, and it's a matter of interpreting the literalness of, of, um, of the book, right? So if you look at um, look at this back page in the box, historicism um, chapters four to twenty symbolize the uh, chronological order of successive historical events from the apostolic church to the return of Christ, um, and then futurism, kind of similar. Um, events are all still future to us today, but. But essentially, these two things—what these two things have in common—is that everything here is literal um, in the sense of chronology of events, right? It's just a matter of, oh, did it happen back in the church days, or is it going to happen in the future, like past where we're at now, right? Um, preterism is uh, all these events have already been fulfilled in the past, so everything has been fulfilled in the past. Um, so the top three are are similar in the sense that okay, these are chronological things. Idealism is what. Um, is what I believe, and um, it says it says views this book as highly symbolic, and does not give a specific chronology of events. Uh, Revelation is a fundamental fundamental message of the triumph of God over Satan through seven different visions, right? Um, and so, so um, 
my take on Revelation is that a lot of this stuff is is not a literal chronology of events, but it's all symbolic. It's very symbolic. Um, um, you guys have any questions on that? That's a super quick overview. Maybe oversimplifying, but... Um, so yeah, that's there are w- different ways that people read Revelation. Very yes. Is, it, um, is there a good scholarship to support all of these views? Oh yeah, yeah. For each view, yeah, there's 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 a lot. Is it possible that um, these views are right in their own way? And I don't mean this in a wishy-washy right. fashion. I mean this um, if we were to say take the story of Exodus. Right. On one hand, it, it it's the it's the literal deliverance of God's people. On the other hand, it's an archetype. <coughs> it's an archetype looking forward to Christ, and and another level, sure, you know, it's it's you know God triumphing over human kings. Like you know, there's there's a lot of layers to that story. Right. To say it's one, it's one <coughs> and not the other is oversimplifying things. Yeah, yeah. There's um, even within this, and even within kind of the three main millennial views: pre-mill, post-mill, amill. Like, there's a lot of blending in. I mean, there's there's scholars that hold to like all sorts of things, right? So, so these are just kind of the the main views, um, and so I'm sure many many scholars have blended a lot of these things and say, oh, it's not one or the other. It's kind of you can. I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but <laughs> not not necessarily blending, but like at the same time, like Exodus is not a blend. Yeah. It's it's you know, it's the story, the literal story, but there are other elements. Gospels, it echoes parts of Exodus, and so you need to understand the Exodus story, and the Exodus story informs the Gospel story as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a clear answer for you, but yeah. I mean, I think you're right in the sense that like they all have <laughs> certain truths that they all touch on. But I don't. Th- I think these are all pretty mutually exclusive. I don't mm-hmm. think they can all be right because uh, either the millennial kingdom will happen mm-hmm. in a thousand literal years, or it won't. It, it can't <coughs> both be true and not true. All of them in the same way, right? Uh, but then they all touch on how Christ is victorious and how He will return as our King. He will put to destruction the wicked and the ungodly. And so, in that sense, I think they all do have right elements. Uh, but I don't think we can say that they are all correct in its entirety. That's my yeah. Thanks. Cool. Um, so, so Revelation it means um, so. So we've heard, heard of um, apocalypse. Apocalypse is just Greek for apocalypsis, I think, and it just means revelation. But it sounds scarier, right? Like if you name this last book Apocalypse, it'd be like, that's scary. <laughs> um, so Apocalypse, uh, it just, um, I think, I think um, um, Revelation and um, apocalyptic literature, it's it's very helpful for um, um, even for the Jews of uh, of the OT to to know what this life is for. Essentially, what is the purpose that what is the purpose of life? What is um, what is the end goal? 
to this thing, right? And so Revelation reveals that to us, right? Um, and so um, Revelation is awesome because it, it tells us basically the main story of, of the Bible, right? It tells us that God wins, um, triumphs over Satan and evil, and that there's going to be a new creation, um, a perfect creation uh, with his perfect people, right? That's, that's the main story of Revelation. Um, and so um, even though the imagery and symbolism may not be easy to understand, the main message of Revelation is simple. Right? God through Christ triumphs and completely defeats Satan. Um, and so uh, John wrote this book, um, and his visions revealed to John of an unseen spiritual war between God and Satan. And so the church is under uh, great distress, right? Um, that they are assured of the final triumph of Jesus, right? And so this is why Revelation is so awesome, because it gives the church hope. It gives believers um, hope that this isn't all for nothing. Right? There's something going on here, right? There's something way beyond anything we can really fathom. Um, and so Revelation is a message of beauty. It says that, oh man, we're going to be vindicated. Uh, our enemies are going to be vanquished, and we're going to be rescued, essentially. That's the story of Revelation. Um, and so Revelation 5, 1 to 14, let's not read the whole thing for the sake of time, but um, essentially there's this, uh, um, let me just read the first part. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep, this is John, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it, right? And so within the scroll, um, um, I believe there's this contents are um, of blessing on one side, perhaps redemption, uh, uh, salvation, and on the other side, curses, right? Curses to the enemy. Um, and, and in order for these things to be ex- executed, it has to be opened, but no one's worthy to open it, right? Um, but verse 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus, right, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Um, and so so this, this, uh, this line of Judah, right, this root of David, this lamb, lamb standing as though it had been slain. Um, and this, this guy, this, this guy comes up and he's able to take the scroll. He's able to open it. He's able to look upon it. And he's the only one worthy to do this. And so he essentially carries out um, um, what's going to happen, right? Um, and so uh, everybody in heaven, myriads of angels, ton of elders, just worshiping Jesus for this. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Because Jesus did this, he is worthy to open the scroll. Um, and so everything is coming to fruition, right? Uh, so we see that Jesus is the one to open scrolls. Um, and this next point, Jesus Christ came to the world as an inglorious and weak man on our behalf to redeem mankind. But now he is highly exalted and full of glory, right? So we see Jesus, that he's uh, very unassuming. He's just this, this no-name guy, and everyone mocks him and hates him. But in Revelation, it's, like, it's almost like a whole different Jesus, right? Um, John, can you read Revelation 1, 12 to 18 for us? Yeah. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. <clears throat> On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
in the midst of the damp stands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like brandished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death. Yeah. So this Jesus that we see, it's it's not a Jesus that we, uh, it's not a Jesus of weakness, but he's this glorious, um, um, this glorious Jesus, this Jesus that is so beautiful. And it says that uh, his face was like the sun shining in full strength, right? So it's crazy. This guy is full of power, full of majesty and glory and beauty. Um, and this is the Jesus that we're going to know, um, we're going to see one day, right? Um, so the end of a fallen world, this revelation speaks of the end of a fallen world and the beginning of a glorious new creation. Revelation 21, 1-4. Jeff, can you finish that up for us? Yeah, so th- this is beautiful, right? It says, uh, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." Right? So, before um, because of sin, this is how it was separated. We had the Creator and the creature, right? And because of sin, God couldn't fully be with man. And so that's why in the Old Testament we have the temple, we have the tabernacle. Um, we all we had all these things in the middle, right? We had the the priest that had to speak to God on behalf of man, right? To to sacrifice, do all these sacrifices because man was sinful. But it says now, the new heavens and new earth, it says God's going to be with man, right? We're going to be in perfect fellowship with God. Um, there's going to be no more sin. There's going to be nothing. Nothing that, um, nothing where God will have to uh, shield us from him. Does that make sense? So this is what we're trending towards. This is what we're moving towards. And this is our hope. And because of Jesus, we're able to have this hope um, that we have, right? I mean, this is all of life. This is this, this is what the Christian believes. So this is this is why I am hopeful in the morning. This is why I can live despite anything that happens, despite all the suffering that people talk about. You know that that the church goes through, that we go through personally. Uh, we know that underlying all of that, we have this: that nothing compares to what's going to happen, right? Um, and so. So revelation is beautiful because it gives us this truth. And because of that, we're able to live joyful lives. We're able to um, to, to work towards holiness because we know that it's not in vain. Everything is for something, something glorious and ultimate, things that we don't even, we can't even imagine right now, right? Do you guys have any questions or comments before we close out?
that's the that's the more of the reform view. Because uh, okay. uh, if you look at here, the bottom it says amillennialism, usually associated with the idealistic interpretation. Everything is just symbolic, um, and so dispensationalists will believe more in the the pre-mill because they believe that there's this. It's how they yeah. It gets really crazy once you um, um, study it, but it's good to study. So everyone should study this. But even for myself, it's still something I'm I'm studying and working out. Um, and seeing how um, the language of scripture speaks to us and um, oh is this literal or is it super super symbolic or w- what is what right so there's there's always that wrestle um, as you study scripture um, but but yeah this is more the reform view yeah. any thoughts on that John I, I have a question yeah, sure. um, so this survey is really helpful because it reminds to us yeah. Um, and I think that's important because ultimately, it, it, like the way we proceed now is a lot largely determined by our expectations for the future, and that's for a lot of things, right? But especially for the Christians, it's important because it kind of uh, informs how we live out of faith. Yeah. And you were saying, like, we hold to the idealistic view, the amillennial view at our church, but, like, in general, um, like, when I, when I see all this stuff, I get a little, like, confused mm-hmm. and a little bit. Um, like anxious, it's just like information overload. Yeah, and so sure. I guess if we have one takeaway from this survey of Revelation and other things, is it just that we can hope in God and yeah. for something? Yeah, is that like, what Christ, like Christ has defeated Satan, he's bound, and he's there's going to be a final battle where Satan and and evil will be destroyed, and we're gonna um, be worshiping worshiping God for all eternity. Yeah, that's that's really the main takeaway of Revelation, despite all this stuff. This is all bonus. I was like, oh, should I include this or not? Because it's going to get confusing. But I included it just because I wanted you guys to realize that there's different ways that people read Revelation. Um, and so to work with that, to struggle with that, to learn from that. and Yeah. Good question. Good thought. Any, any more? Any other questions? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Jesus, for saving us, um, for being the lamb that was slain, um, for being our um, our savior, our redeemer, our king. Um, um, Father, help us to believe that, to know that. Um, forgive us of our unbelief. Help us to soak in your word and know that these truths are real. Uh, so give us the spirit to, to see this. Um, that our hearts would be moved uh, to greater love for you and greater hope and joy despite anything that comes in our lives, Father. May we cling to these truths. May it sit in our hearts um, and just sink deep, Father, that we would know that everything is for you. Everything is moving towards um, this great hope that we have in you. And so we thank you for your promises, uh, for caring for us. Um, Who are we that you are mindful of us, Father, but you love us. You love us despite us, and so we thank you that um, that you pursue us. Um, we thank you for your word that shows us that we can believe in these truths, God. And uh, may we cling to these truths, and may it transform us from the inside out. We love you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.